0: Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Obadiah, verses 10 to 14, in part 5 of a sermon series called, The Poison of Pride, with this message from November 24th titled, The Vice of Injustice. I recently came across the story of a preacher who found a shoe box in a closet in his home. He opened it and found some very strange contents. Inside was an egg carton with five eggs. And next to the eggs was a stack of bills that totaled over $10,000. He was totally puzzled with his find. As soon as his wife came home and walked through the door, he stopped to ask her if she knew anything about the shoe box and its contents. She replied, yes, dear. After we got married, I decided that after every sermon you preached, if it was a bad one, I would put an egg in the carton in the shoebox. Well, after thinking about what his wife had said, the preacher began to feel rather proud. After all, they had been married many years and there were only five eggs in the carton, but he was still bewildered. He said to his wife, but honey, what about the $10,000? Where did that come from? Oh, his wife replied, well, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them. (laughs) So Amy, I'm wondering what you're doing with that 10 grand. (laughs) We're in a preaching series from the book of Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament, which I titled The Poison of Pride. The book records Obadiah's prophecy of doom to the nation of Edom and his message of hope to the nation of Israel. As you recall from our study, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob, who was a father of the nation of Israel. However, rather than acting as a brother nation, Edom constantly harassed and provoked Israel. Eventually, when Israel was attacked by the Babylonians, Edom gloated over their calamity and disaster. She expressed no sympathy for the Jewish people as they were attacked by the ruthless Babylonians. In verses 10 to 14, Obadiah describes very clearly why God was about to bring judgment on Edom. And here is what we read. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. But you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. According to Obadiah, the pride of the Edomites caused them to behave unacceptably toward the Israelites. And verse 10 makes reference to her unjust and unnecessary violence. She had made life very difficult for Israel through her warlike attitude. And because of her pride and violent acts Obadiah prophesied the day is near when I the Lord will judge all godless nations as you have done to Israel so it will be done to you all your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. And this is precisely what happened. The nation of Edom eventually disappeared into history and it remains a, a, as the prime example Of the truth found in Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 that says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Obadiah's prophecy emphasizes the destructive power of pride. It reminds us of the consequences of living in a self-serving manner of following through on our own feelings and desires while considering their impact on those around us. Do you struggle to set aside your own wants and desires for those of God and others? Though such pride has been part of the lives of fallen human beings since the tragedy of the fall in Eden, Obadiah offers us a stark reminder to place ourselves under God's authority. To subject our appetites to his purposes and to find our hope in being his people when the restoration of all things comes. In our study of the book of Obadiah, we have been considering the symptoms of Edom's pride. Verses 3 and 4 speak of her self-sufficiency. Because of her fortified location, she believed that she was unconquerable and invincible. And because of her wealth and wisdom, she became self-reliant. Verses 11 and 12 points to her complicity. She stood and watched while Babylon attacked and overran Israel. Although she could have stepped in to help With an attitude of indifference, she stood as a spectator, watching Israel get ransacked. Then in verse 13, we read that she took advantage of Israel for her own personal gain. Because Edom had helped Babylon destroy Israel, she was given permission to loot the land and help herself to any leftover spoils of war. And this is precisely what she did. And we noted that these symptoms of pride can be manifested in our lives as well. We too can become self-sufficient, indifferent, and take advantage of others for personal gain. But not only did we identify the various symptoms of Edom's pride, we also spent some time discussing how we can root these symptoms from our lives. Self-sufficiency is rooted out through humility, bringing our lives under the rule and reign of God. Indifference is rooted out of our lives through compassion, a heart that not only feels the pain of others, but becomes involved in the lives and circumstances of the vulnerable. An unjust gain can be rooted from our lives through generosity, a deep conviction that in Christ we find true riches and abounding treasure, which then frees us to share extravagantly with others. As we conclude this series, I would have us consider one more symptom of Edom's pride along with its cure and described for us in verse 14 is a symptom of injustice. Listen once again to what Obadiah says in verse 14, you should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible, terrible time of trouble. You see, Edom not only laughed and looted when Israel was attacked by Babylon she captured refugees and turned them over to the invaders apparently the inhabitants of edom would station themselves at strategic locations whether at a breached wall a mountain pass or at a fork in the road to cut off their fugitives leaving jerusalem edom had stood aloof watching the enemy ravish the nation of israel she had plundered the leftovers of the people after the invasion forces had departed now By guarding the escape routes, Edom betrayed, intercepted, and handed over to the enemy, those who were fleeing the travesties of war. Verse 5 refers to the spite required to take everything someone has, when even a thief will only take what he wants. Verse 10 implies that violence against the brother is even worse than that against the stranger. How much more evil, spiteful, and hateful is it to capture those running from an invasion and hand them over to their attackers? For as long as Edom had been harassing Israel, this was a new law. The Collins English Dictionary defines injustice as a lack of fairness in a situation. Some synonyms of injustice include discrimination, prejudice, Bias, inequality, oppression, intolerance, bigotry, and lawlessness. So, as you see, the term injustice is broad in meaning as well as in scope. As in Edom's day, acts of injustice are often carried out on the weak and the vulnerable in our society as well as around the world. The hungry, the poor, the disabled, the widow, The unborn, the orphan, the oppressed, the refugee, the victim of sex trafficking, the immigrant, just to name a few. As God's people redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I believe that we are called to live and act justly. That means we're called to reach out to those in our society who are weak, who are oppressed, who are vulnerable. What we might call the least, the last, and the lost. Consider these words from the prophet Micah. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, Moses says that the test case of whether a person or a community is just is how we treat the orphan, the widow, the stranger, those who are legally helpless. You can tell a community is just when it embraces those who are most helpless. Michael Frost writes, in a world of greed and consumerism, the church ought to be a community of generosity and selflessness. In a host empire that is committed to marginalizing the poor, resisting the place of women, causing suffering to the disenfranchised the Christian community must be generous to a fault pursuant of justice flushed with mercy. Unfortunately, when it comes to justice, we instinctively tend to exert ourselves for people like us and for people whom we like. But what then does it mean to live and act justly? Biblical references to the word justice means to make right. Justice is first and foremost a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, with others, and the natural creation. From a scriptural point of view, justice means loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And it's rooted in the character and nature of God. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and to live in love. Tim Keller, and I'll be referring to Tim Keller several times in the message this morning. Really appreciated the writing on justice. He says in one of his writings, says the biblical conception of justice is primarily captured in two Hebrew words. And one of those words occurs in its various forms more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merit of the case, regardless of race or social status. Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same punishment, but implied in this word is more than just punishment for wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights. So in light of that, this first Hebrew word translated justice is giving people their due, whether punishment, protection or care. And he goes on to say, however, that we get more insight when we consider a second Hebrew word that can be translated as being just. Though it is usually uh, translated as being righteous. This word refers to a life of right relationships. When you and I see the word righteousness in the Bible, we often tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But in the Bible, this Hebrew word refers to -to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, with generosity, and with equity. It's not surprising then to discover that these two Hebrew words are brought together scores of times in the Bible. It means both punishing the wrongdoers as well as caring for the victims of unjust treatment. And it is behavior that if it was prevalent in the world would see everyone living in right relationship to everyone else. Therefore, though righteousness is primarily about being in right relationship with God. The righteous life that results is profoundly social. It impacts society. Unfortunately, an unhealthy divide has taken place within church circles. Within the church, there are those who promote personal evangelism at the expense of public justice. While others promote public justice at the expense of personal evangelism. And the the debate pits one against the other, assuming that the mission of the church is either or, either personal evangelism or public justice. But again, I want to quote Tim Keller. He sums up this situation in this way. He says, many people in the church fall into one of two categories. They are into justification, but not justice, or they love justice, but have a low regard for justification. And he suggests that both positions are wrong. The doctrine of justification by faith teaches that our sins were placed on Jesus and his righteousness was given to us when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Justice is the idea that Christians should be showing concern for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant, for the poor. For those who prefer justification, justice is a sign that you have been justified by faith. It's not the basis. You aren't justified because you're helping the poor, but a heart poured out in deeds of mercy and justice for the poor is a sign that you have been saved by grace. What we need to come to understand is that justice is inseparably connected to preaching grace. And this is true in two ways. One way is that the gospel produces a concern for the poor. The other is that deeds of justice gain credibility for the preaching of the gospel. In other words, justification by faith leads to doing justice. And doing justice can make many seek to be justified by faith. We need to follow the lead of Jesus in this regard. In Luke chapter four, verse 18, Jesus announces and inaugurates his public ministry. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he talks about his calling to preach good news to the poor, to the captive and to the oppressed. And in so doing, Jesus made the kingdom tangible in the material world. He was zealous for the things of his father and that worked itself out in his interaction with and caring for broken people throughout scripture. We find that God is constantly calling us to be concerned for the marginalized, for widows, orphans, the blind, the poor, others who are on the margins, left out, who are ignored. Yes, God's gracious work restores our relationship with him when we repent of our sin, when we confess the Messiah as Lord and trust in him. But this restoration also includes a reordering of our lives. A reordering of our loves, of our ambitions, of our purpose. Followers of Jesus demonstrate the hope of the gospel in both word and deed. Because the gospel transforms them. The call of the church is to reflect the reality of the kingdom. In its love, in its justice, in its service toward others. We are to do the works associated with God's kingdom. The goal of the kingdom is to make things as they should be a work in process until God brings all things to its completion. We partner with God in the advancement of his kingdom through proclaiming and living kingdom shaped lives in this present age, praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When God's kingdom finally and completely comes, what will it be like? What will it be like when God's kingdom is finally established upon this earth? We know that there will be no more injustice, no more suffering, no more oppression, no more racial tension, no more sex trafficking, no more infanticide. And so social justice is about creating kingdom space in the here and now, giving witness to the ultimate just society that is yet to come. So every time we use our voice and influence to get in the way of injustice. Whether it is human trafficking, economic exploitation, human rights abuses, or infants dying needlessly from disease and malnutrition, we provide a foretaste of God's kingdom to come. As we proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, we enact the good news through good works by loving the unlovely, caring for the poor, seeking justice for the oppressed. We strive to live out the reality of God's kingdom. In everything that we do. In everything that we undertake. Therefore, it's my conviction that justification and justice go hand in hand. The words and works of the kingdom go together. They were brought together in the ministry of Jesus. In the ministry of the first disciples. And they need to be brought together in the ministry that you and I undertake. And so I pray that as fellow Christians, we can re-envision God's call for social justice, which is rooted in scripture and rooted in faith. We must recommit to advancing social justice, not as an extracurricular or optional part of our faith, but rather as an imperative. But for that to happen, we must root from our lives any form of injustice. And how do we do so? What is the cure for the symptom? Of injustice. I believe that it's the acknowledgement. Of our indebtedness to God. The acknowledgement of our indebtedness to God. In the Beatitudes Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning that God's blessing and salvation. Comes to those who acknowledge spiritual bankruptcy. It means seeing that you are deeply in debt before God. And you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him was the only thing that saved you was the only thing that saved me. However, sometimes you and I really don't understand how deeply we are indebted to God. At times we think that we're not as bad as we really are. We look at other people and and the things they do and we smugly think to ourselves that we are much better than they. That we would never succumb to the things that they succumb to. Although we believe that God has saved us by grace, we still are fairly certain that we're not the worst of the worst, or else we feel that we've earned a certain standing with God through our hard work, or we may believe that the success and the resources we have are primarily due to our own ingenuity and energy. However, Jesus didn't help us because we were deserving of his grace. He didn't help us because of the good that we had done because of the good that was within us, because there's nothing good in us that deserves our salvation or the privileges that we enjoy in this society. Therefore, people who grasp the gospel of grace, understand their spiritual poverty, they find their hearts gravitating to the weak and the vulnerable. Tim Keller says to the degree that the gospel shapes your self-image You will identify with those in need. When the spirit enables us to understand what Christ has done for us. The result is a life poured out in deeds of justice and compassion for the poor. In other words, a bankrupt heart overflowing in gratitude overflows in grace. If a person doesn't care about the weak, about the vulnerable, about the marginalized, It reveals that they do not understand the grace that they have experienced in and through Christ. Or else it says something else. That they haven't had a salvation experience with Jesus at all. God is a compassionate God. The strong one who became supremely weak so that he could save those who could not save themselves. If you live your whole life and say, I'm not really interested in finding weak people and helping hurting people. I'm not really interested in those who are vulnerable, the widows and the orphans. That's not my thing. Then you don't understand who you are and you don't understand what God is like because we also are helpless. We also are hurting and we are weak and we are vulnerable. And God sent his son from the splendor of heaven to deliver us. He who was rich for our sake became poor that he might save us. We who cannot save ourselves so that he might save us to the uttermost. And so the Bible makes justice a mandate of faith, a mandate of faith and a fundamental expression of Christian discipleship. Justice has its biblical roots in a triune God who time and time again shows his love and compassion for the weak, the vulnerable. The marginalized, the disenfranchised, the disinherited. As Tim Dearborn reminds us in reflections of advocacy and justice for Christians, the pursuit of social justice for the poor and oppressed is the decisive mark of being people who submit to the will and to the way of God. So God calls his people to be wholly transformed by the gospel. And to minister that same gospel in both proclamation and acts of justice to the world around us, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so this concludes our series, The Poison of Pride, from the book of Obadiah. And I want to ask you this morning, have you seen symptoms of pride in your life? Have you seen the symptom of self-sufficiency? Self-reliance? The choir sang this morning, empty of me. Did you catch those words, empty of me? Life is not about us. Life is about Christ and that relationship with him and being transformed to his likeness, carrying on the ministry that he has entrusted to us. Have you seen the symptom of indifference being a bystander a spectator to the plight of other people having the ability the resources to step in get involved but choosing not to have you seen the symptom of taking advantage of others for your own personal gain. Have you seen the symptom of injustice? If so, I would ask you to root these symptoms from your life through humility, through compassion, through generosity, and by acknowledging your indebtedness to God. And as you do, your eyes will be open to see those who are marginalized, those who are helpless, those who are vulnerable. And not only will your eyes be opened, but your heart will be filled with compassion, which will then motivate you to go and fulfill the words of Micah. You will have the joy of doing justice, of loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God. Heavenly Father, the short book of Obadiah has challenged us this morning. I pray that we would not be blind to the pride and the symptoms of pride in our heart. I pray, Father, that we would look honestly, allow you to look honestly within us. And to stir us to see what is really there. Father, I pray that we would not excuse behaviors or attitudes. That we would not sweep these things under the carpet, pretending that they don't exist. I pray, Father, that we would not compare ourselves to others and consider that we are much better than those around us. But, Father, that we would see those seeds of pride. And we would root them from our life. So that they don't strangle our spiritual life, and all that you desire for us. I just thank you for your grace and for the gospel of grace. I thank you, Father, that when we were unable to save ourselves, you came to us in the Son of Jesus. That he gave his life on the cross to redeem us and to reconcile us. And Father, what a privilege for us now Lives that have been transformed by the gospel to to do deeds of justice for your honor and for your glory. Giving credibility to the life-changing message that we have embraced and opening doors of opportunity to share the hope that is within us. So make that our passion, our desire, Father, as I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.